Good morning, Boker Tov. This week we are studying Parashat Shemot. Parashat Shemot is the beginning of the second book of the Torah. We've concluded the first book of the Torah, the book of Breshit. We now move on to the second book of the Torah, Sefer Shemot. That's the name of the, what's what's known in English as the book of Exodus, but it's really translated as the book of names. It starts off by telling us these are the names of the children of Yaakov that went down to Egypt. Uh, and then very quickly tells us that that first generation of people who went down to Egypt, uh, Yaakov's children, uh, they all had passed away. So Yosef and all of his brothers passed away. And it was many years later, the, part, the Torah tells us, that there was a new king that came into Egypt that did not know who Yosef was. See, Yosef was the savior of, of Egypt. He was elevated to the second most powerful person in the country and also effectively in the world. And he was someone who took the nation from a, from the, the dreams that Pharaoh had and he built the reserves financially, making them the most powerful nation. Uh, they became very, very wealthy. The country, the nation became very wealthy because of Yosef. And so Yosef was someone who was very important and popular in the country. Uh, and then what the Torah tells us is that there was a next generation after Yosef and his brother, brothers had died. The next generation did not know who Yosef was. Yosef. So the question is, how is it possible that he didn't know Yosef? You have the king of Egypt. Doesn't know a little bit of history, just the generation before him. So there's a few answers. One answer is that he knew who, Yo- he knew who Yosef was, but he didn't know of him intimately, meaning he, he never met him. He didn't have a relationship with him. And that being the case, you forget, uh, and it's not as important to him. So he was going to pass laws and decrees that Yosef would not have been happy about, uh, but he had no personal relationship with Yosef, so he didn't care. It wasn't intimate. He didn't know Yosef intimately. Another explanation is he knew exactly who Yosef was, but the, the laws that he was now going to pass, as we'll see, were laws that completely disregarded Yosef and his accomplishments for the country. So it's not that he didn't know Yosef. It's that he turned a blind eye to all of the great good things that Yosef did, lacking any appreciation toward him, completely disregarding him. When it says he doesn't know, didn't know who Yosef was, meaning his decrees completely disregarded Yosef. That's another explanation. There's other explanations as well. I've heard uh, that it's very possible that there was some sort of a, a revolution in Egypt where the kingdom was overthrown and there was another group of people group that came in and they overthrew and they weren't necessarily uh, Egyptians. They were new people that came in, overthrew. So that's also a possibility. Whatever it is, a new king comes in place and he says, Yosef's family, the Jewish people, Am Bnei Yisrael, Mimenu. They are, they are very uh, numerous. They're very uh, large. Now, the truth of the matter is, uh, they weren't larger than the Egyptians, but that's how it was viewed, that uh, they were very large. And so Paro has a three step approach of how he's going to stop the Jewish people from growing. Um, the Torah tells us that they were having a lot of children. They were having a lot of children. And they were uh, becoming very... Uh, the, um, the, the country of Egypt was filled with the children. Now, again, relatively speaking, it was nothing compared to the number of Egyptians that there were, but there were a lot. It was a, it was a growing number. So Far- Paro's first approach was to let's overwork the Jewish people. Let's enslave them, turn them into slaves. And that's what happened. He made us into slaves. He made us slaves and he put hard work onto us, thinking that he would now show his dom- his dominance over us, he would be able to control us, 
it would slow the growth of the nation if we're putting on the hard work and we're, uh, you know, you probably have more people dying because of the harsh conditions. They'll probably have more Jewish people who are, aren't interested in having kids. They don't have enough money to have kids. They don't have enough to provide for themselves. They're slaves. So that was his first approach. The Torah tells us, It didn't stop them from growing. Yes, Paro enslaved the Jewish people. That, that was successful, but it wasn't successful in curbing their growth. So his second step was a covert operation where he goes into the hospital, goes to the Ivriot, uh, uh, sorry, the um, the maids, the maid servants or the midwives, sorry, not maid servants, the midwives. He went to uh, these midwives, the midwives that would give birth or help, the, the nurses that would help Jewish women give birth. He imagined some of the nurses that worked in the maternity ward at the hospital. And he told them, When a Jewish woman has a child, If it's a boy, kill him. Kill him right there. And you say, oh, it was a stillborn. Meaning, do this quietly. The baby comes and say, sorry, the child didn't survive. But if it's a girl, If it's a girl, you can make sure that she is alive. Uh, take care of her. Make sure you take care of her. So this was the second option. The second Stage was after enslaving them, that didn't curb the growth. Then he went in and he now was asking the, the midwives to commit murder. The Jewish baby boys are burned, kill them. If it's a baby girl, support her so that she could live. So one question that I saw was why why not just kill the girls also? Why was it that he, he said, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, don't. Just kill them all. Um, so one answer that I read is that uh, because he saw that the Jewish women were able to have so many children and they were growing. And he said, these are these women are women that are bearing children, that are having so many. If we if there are no Jewish men and there are only Jewish women, we'll marry them, bring them into the Egyptians, and then you'll have the, the Egyptian population will then grow. So that's one answer that I read. That, um, he felt that if the Jewish girls can become Egyptian, but the Jewish boys kill them. But these midwives did not listen. It says, They did not do what Paro said, because they feared God. They feared God, and they did not do what Paro said. They did not kill the Jewish baby boys. And when Paro confronted them, and he said, why are you doing this? They said, look, the Jewish women, they, they know how to give birth by themselves. By the time they're coming to the hospital, the baby's already out. We can't. It's too late. We can't commit murder. We can't do it as a covert operation. So now Paro goes to stage three. And stage three is Vaitsav Paro Now Paro commanded openly, overtly, not just to the midwives, but to the entire nation. He now had passed a law for the entire nation, and he says as follows: Every baby boy that's born, every Jewish baby boy that's born, there is a uh, decree that he has to be thrown into the river. Uh, but the girls can live. And so he now expanded this uh, directive that he had given to the Jewish, to the, the midwives that were helping Jewish women give birth. He then uh, passed this to the entire country. Uh, they all have an obligation to kill Jewish baby boys. It wasn't successful. I mean, it was successful in that there were baby boys that were being killed. Um but the next section of the Torah tells us about one very particular baby boy, and that is Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. And so what's the story? There was a man and woman named Amram and Yocheved. Amram uh, was a Levi, and Yocheved was also the daughter of Levi. 
So uh, families of Levim come together and they have a child together. And after the baby is born, uh, he, he, they, they try to keep him at home. They don't throw him into the river. They try, they, they risked going against the, the word of the king and they did not throw him into the, in the river. Uh, and instead they tried to keep him at home. But what happened was after a few months, after three months, they saw that they can't keep him at home anymore. It's going to be very clear. He's growing. They couldn't hide him anymore. And so they said, okay, we, th- there's nothing we can do. We are going to throw him by the river, hoping that someone will have mercy and compassion and empathy for this, uh, sympathy for this child and will save this child. So they put Moshe, baby Moshe. He wasn't named Moshe. They took this baby, put him in a basket, put him in the river, as was the decree, but didn't just throw him into the river, put him like in a floating basket. And lo and behold, there was a woman, a righteous woman, who heard. And who was it? It was the daughter of Paro. The daughter of Bat Bat Paro, the daughter of Paro, um, was by the river. She was bathing in the river, and she saw that there was this baby here. She heard the baby crying, and she had mercy on this child. She had compassion. She had a heart, and she knew that it was her father's decree. It was her father's decree that every Jewish baby boy had to be thrown into the river. So she knew exactly what was going on. But she, and she, she says, this is a Jewish child, meaning she knew exactly what it was. So it's not like she was naive. What did she do? She um, she goes ahead and she uh, she sends forth. Now this happens. Uh, I, I skipped a line uh, before she saw the basket. Before she she heard a baby crying, so she sends her amata, her maid, to bring the basket to her. Okay, so there's something very interesting I'd like to highlight here. The Torah tells us that she sends her maid. Amata is her maid. Uh, to go bring the basket. So she brings the basket, she sees it's a baby, she says this is a Jewish baby, she then says, I'm going to save this child. Now, keep in mind, it was her father's decree, the king of Egypt, that every Jewish baby boy had to be thrown into the river. What is she doing right now when she's taking this baby out? She is defying her father's decree. She is going against what the king said, which is extremely dangerous, right? It's not like she she felt like, oh, there's a baby here. Oh, let me take it. Like, no, she understood exactly what was going on. She understood the risks involved, but she did it anyway. And she, what she ends up doing, ironically enough, is she then hires, um, there, there was a girl there who was uh, Achoto, meaning Moshe's sister. It was Miriam. Miriam is, is his sister. She comes and says, hey, would you like me to help you with this raising this baby? She says, yeah, you know what? Here's some money. Go find a woman to nurse this child. And this woman happens to be the child's mom. So uh, the baby's sister, Miriam, takes the baby to the baby's mom to nurse this child for, for a few years and then bring him back to Batia Bat Paro, to the daughter of Paro's home. And she would be raised, adopted. Effectively, she is now adopted by the daughter of Paro. So I want to explain something that Chachamim say. Chachamim say that she sent her maid. Amata means her maid. But the, the word ama actually has another meaning. Uh, ama also means a cubit, right? So from here to here is a measurement, a distance measurement called an ama. It's about, let's say, about a foot and a half. And this is called a cubit. Ama is the arm. So 
you know, like if you ever hear in like, um, you know, in, in, let's say here in America, we talk about distance, we'll say feet, we'll say inches, we'll say yards. In other countries, they'll say meters, uh, centimeters, kilometers. So uh, in the times of the Chazal, they would go by tefachim, which are hand breaths. Like this is a tefach. And they would say amot. Amot is this measurement that I'm saying from your finger to your elbow. Okay, A cubit is how it's translated. So when it says what she sends her ama, it could be that she sends her maid, or it could be that she sends her arm. So this is what Chachamim tells. Chachamim say she sent her arm in that she reached for this child and her arm stretched. Her arm stretched in order for her to grab the baby and bring him home. Okay, so there is a, this is a very nice opportunity to explain Midrashim. When Chachamim tell us this, what the Midrash says is that she stretched out her arm, uh, or she reached and her arm stretched. It's amazing because what Chachamim are doing is they're, they're finding it connected to the text. The text of the Torah says she sends her ama, And there's two ways of translating it. It could mean maid, which is what it means simply, or it could also mean her arm. And they say, oh, they, they pick up on that. And they say, oh, she sent her arm. Oh, her arm stretched. So what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that her arm literally stretched? It could be, but it, or it could be how they're teaching us something. They're, they're teaching us that what she was reaching for was out of her reach. What Batya, the daughter of Paro, was doing was not something that was easy. It was something that was difficult. It wasn't something that she could just take. It's something that she cannot do this. If, if she, Even if she wanted to and she puts her arm out, she won't get there. But what? She tried anyway. She put her arm out. And what happened? It extended, meaning she was successful. Okay? So again, it, does it literally mean that her arm extended? Not necessarily. What it can mean was, what it can mean is, what Chachamim, based on the choice of words that the Torah has, which it means she sent her maid, but figuratively, what it could mean is she had to stretch out of her reach and she was successful anyway. She was going against the king. She was going against her father. She knew full well what this meant. This could be risking her life, going against the decree of the king, but she did it. It was out of her reach and she was successful. From here, you learn an important message that there are times where there is something that is correct. There's something that is the, what you, the, way, the proper way of behaving. But it's very difficult for us. It's very difficult for Batya to save this child. It's risking, it's even risking our own lives, which is what Batya did, the daughter of Paro. But when someone wants to do something that's correct and they put their arm out, Hashem helps them to be successful and he'll quote unquote stretch their hands, meaning he'll increase the capacity of what they're able to do. That's what Chachamim are telling us here, which is so deep. Chachamim aren't telling us that her arm elongated literally. What they're saying is, is that she knew that this was out of her reach. She knew she couldn't do this, but she reached for it anyway, and she was successful. And they're picking up this sentiment, this idea to tell us that she was a very righteous woman in what she did. And she sent her maid. In sending her maid, she knew that she was doing something that was not going to be easy. She knew it would be out of her reach. She tried to do it anyway, and she was successful. And in that zechut, she ended up raising the Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader of Jewish people. Not just that, she was the one who named him. It says, I brought him out of the water. This was the name that she gave to this child. This woman was an extremely righteous, loving, caring, good-hearted woman. That because of her, she saved Moshe Rabbeinu, and the, she named Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Everyone, how many uh, Jewish boys are there that's named Moshe? It's all in the Zechut of the daughter of Paro. And what did she do? She went out of her reach to do something, and she was successful. When we see something that's correct, and we, we have the conviction, and we know that it's the right thing to do, even if there's someone evil trying to stop us, we have the moral clarity to go forward and reach out to try, to do what's correct and what's just and what's the truth. And Bezrat Hashem, Hashem, increase our capacity to be successful in all of our good endeavors. Have a great week, everyone.